to The Tenderness Revolution, a podcast about the stories of kindness, compassion and empathy that play out in our lives, because these deeply moving experiences describe what it means to be human and invite us into a new way of thinking about the world and each other. I'm your host, writer and journalist Yvonne Gavin, and every episode I'll be asking a new interviewee about a pivotal moment of tenderness that helped shape the course of their life. I'm here today with Debbie Marco, British journalist and author of The Power of Kindness, inspiring stories, heartwarming tales and random acts of kindness from the coronavirus pandemic. Debbie's background is in print journalism and while she has extensive experience of writing for a wide range of national newspapers from the Daily Telegraph to the Sunday Mirror, she also features regularly on BBC Radio, is an experienced copywriter and ghostwriter as well as being the author of five books, The Power of Kindness being the most recent. This conversation was recorded earlier this year, in June, but its subject, how kindness showed up during the pandemic, is just as relevant five months later, if not more, given that we are still trying to make sense of COVID-19 and how it continues to affect our lives. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Vaughan. <laughs> it's so brilliant to have you on the podcast today. I've been really looking forward to talking with you, and I have to say that this small but very mighty book that's packed full of positive stories of kindness and empathy during the covid pandemic it it's just so inspiring and i honestly don't remember the last time that i read a book that produced such emotional reactions in me i mean i literally had these little flutters in my stomach and shivers down my spine a few times and like Genuinely, I literally had a smile on my face practically the whole way through. I think it was, I think it was great. Did you enjoy the whole process of writing it? Oh, thank you. That's so nice to hear. Um, I think the process actually was great because I was, obviously the pandemic was around us when I was in the middle of writing it and um, it's still going on and it's lasted a lot longer than maybe some of us expected. And I think, and it was very hard for so many people. And I think that going through, and I'm researching all these stories, and it it kind of gave me a lift and it reconnected me to a wider society because mm. maybe everything got quite small with lockdowns and you only you know saw your, the people that you lived with if you yeah. were lucky enough to live with people or you know, unlucky enough to be locked down with small children as I was. But, um, and then, and people got quite anxious and that anxiety brought out some negative things as well as positive things. I'm not gonna, you know, whitewash the pandemic. It didn't bring out the great side in everyone. And I think I was really looking for those positive stories to maybe counterbalance some more small mindedness or anxiousness that I'd come across in my, in my closer environment. Oh, that's wonderful. So you actually kind of, there was a real intention behind it because I was wondering how the actual process had evolved because also you must have done it so incredibly quickly because it actually was published in 2020 and you've got two small children. 
So my mind was just boggling. I was like, how on earth did she do it? But it's great to hear that you actually had this sense of wanting to show the other side of, of things. Absolutely. I really did. And I did have to do it very fast. But luckily, um, as a journalist who works on newspapers, I'm used to doing things quite fast. And, you know, the book is actually just a roundup. I didn't have to interview everyone who took part. I, you know, I, it was more of a kind of research project where I looked at the different stories that had come about. Maybe there were some personal ones that I personally knew of. They were, they were on Facebook. They were, you know, in the local newspapers, you know, it was, and it was kind of, they kept cropping up everywhere actually. And I kept thinking, oh, that's so nice. I mean, I love to hear that it made you smile. Um, some of them like made me cry as I was like, you know, writing them. They, they, the depth of people's kindness and courage in this pandemic has been astounding. And obviously that's not everyone. And I think that's what I love about the book. It's a real tribute to the people who did do that. And I think that we can all take an example from their behaviour and their kindness. I'm really keen to explore this theme of kindness with you. But before we do, I want to ask you, Debbie, to share your moment of tenderness with us. Because the idea behind the Tenderness Revolution podcast is that essentially our lives are made up of all these little stories stitched together. And when we shine a light on scenes where we felt a profound sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves... Moments where we felt seen or understood or that we had a deeper relationship to the world around us. It's as though we're awakened to greater meaning and purpose. So please, Debbie, do share your moment of tenderness with us. So I've obviously been thinking about this when you told me that I needed to have a moment of tenderness. And there was just one that just popped to the front of my mind. And it's so small and it was really long ago. But it's obviously affected me because it's like I was 20. So, you know, over 20 years ago, this really tiny thing happened and I carry it with me in my heart. And I actually think I might get a bit emotional talking about it. And it's so small. So I built this up. But um, I was um, living in Philadelphia in my 20s. I was um, doing like a exchange here there. Mm-hmm. And um I was oblivious to all the darker parts of the city. You know, I didn't know where was safe areas, where were like okay areas for me to be. And it was actually incredibly freeing. And I just had an amazing time. And I have Philadelphia in my heart and it's a fantastic city. And I was going somewhere on a bus and I had, I think I had a little suitcase. So I was going somewhere, I don't know. And it was a horrible winter evening. It was dark. It was raining. I think I was in a dodgy area of the city. I don't know, but I probably was. It was tended to be where I used to hang out with my poor student friends. And, you know, I'm British, so I'm in a queue for the bus, right? I'm in a line. I respect the line. The bus pulls up. And I don't know if there were, I think, I don't know if there were some dodgy characters hanging around. I can't quite remember that. But I remember just sort of standing back so the man in front of me could get on the bus first because he'd been there first and... British queuing system and he just he just stood he just stepped back he stepped behind me and he just said to me there's no point in hanging around for trouble like get on the bus first and I got on the bus and I just felt really looked after I felt seen I felt cared for it was tender it sounds so weird I told you it was tiny and I got on the bus and it feel I was you know I was young so it just filled me it filled my heart and I remember I remember the scene. I remember it still now. And I just thought, well, this man doesn't know me. 
I'm like some privileged white student who's probably, I don't know where I was going, probably go to the airport or something. And uh, he was just like, I'm going to make sure you're going to be okay. It was no problem for him to get on the bus first and go on his way. And it really touched me. And it, and it's this, like I said earlier, it's this, it's this kindness towards strangers that I think always yeah. has the impact. And, and you don't know with that, do you? There could have been a, you know, who knows what could have happened or what might have happened if you hadn't got on the bus. And it's like one of those serendipitous things where like maybe you were just meant to have that interaction with him. But how sort of how interesting that it, I don't know, maybe it sparked a, a sort of a confidence in the goodness of strangers. You know, just the fact I think that. It did, yeah. Yeah. I really think it did actually. It was like just because they might not look like the person that you would hang out with, just because you're in an area that you maybe, and you're in a strange country. Okay, it's English speaking still, but you know, I was in a strange country. I didn't know the lay of the land. And it was like, actually, you know, people are mostly good. People are mostly good and they want to help other people. And if they've given it an opportunity. And, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. And actually, there's this concept in Buddhism called basic goodness. And um, when I came across it, it really, it was, it was like a, a real kind of eureka moment for me. Because I think sort of growing up Catholic, I think there was a lot of emphasis on evil and, you know, bad people and uh, I don't know, I, I, that's something that I sort of picked up anyway from my experience of, of growing up with that sort of ideology. And, and basic goodness, I think if you believe, actually, if you really do believe that everyone at their core, everyone is good, but, you know, stuff happens. I mean, we have these traumas. And, and even things that happened, you know, to our parents, things that didn't directly happen to us can have a very detrimental effect on us. And if you actually believe that, it really does change things. It's a different lens, isn't it? It's a different way of, of experiencing the world. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, just because someone's a stranger doesn't mean they're kind of, they haven't, they're not looking out for you. And I, you know, as we were, you know, when we were kids, especially when we were growing up, it was all stranger danger. Don't talk to strangers. Don't yeah. get in their cars. Don't go and see their puppies. Yeah. And these are all valid, valid things. But actually, it's very rare that, you know, I don't know what the statistics are, but, you know, with murders and assaults and stuff, it's very rare that it's a strange person. Yeah. yeah. You know, unfortunately, someone you know, right? So yeah. there's a lot to unpack there. But yeah, it's no. just... I love it when a stranger's kind to me. It fills me. Yeah. It just fills me up when yeah. someone who doesn't know me, who doesn't know if I've done good that day, doesn't know if I've done bad that day, doesn't know if I've just been a complete horrible mother and screamed at my kids. And when a stranger does something nice to me, it means so much more, actually, than when a friend does something nice to me. Yeah. You know, because there's that most, like, give and take with friendships and family, mm. isn't it? I, I do this nice thing for you, you're going to do this nice thing for me. Not saying that that's why you do nice things, but there's that transaction almost, where yeah. it's a stranger who does something kind for you, does it for no, like, they get nothing back. Yeah. They but do I, it because they're incredibly good. 
yeah, that unconditional, you know, just, I'm just going to do something kind because I see yeah. you. Yeah. And you're, you're, yeah. And the fact that that man saw me, mm. saw that I was young, saw that I was vulnerable mm. and cared enough about me to make sure I was safe. Mm. I know. It was so nice. It was so kind. And he went, that man won't remember. So I was, do you really remember some white girl getting on a bus in some dodgy area of Philadelphia? He will not remember that he did something for me that, it did. It does change my view on the world. It did change my view on the world, but it was such a small thing. But actually, I think, and I'm curious as you go through these podcast interviews, how small these moments of tenderness will be. Maybe they'll be wrong and they'll be massive. Yeah. But it's not like the big proposal. No. It's not the, the rose petals covered bed. It's not the um, here's a million pounds. Not that that's ever happened. But you know. I don't think they, I'll be curious. I'll be yeah. interested to hear. I don't think they will, but I think, I hope, I hope they're all teeny tiny. But going back to the theme of kindness that's behind your book, I wanted to ask you. Is there anything that really stands out? Is there a story that really stands out for you that's your favourite? Something that really sort of touched you? I do get asked this quite a lot when I talk about the book. And there is one, I've forgotten the, the woman's name and we can go back and look at it. But um there was a woman whose son had died quite a few years ago now. I think he died, he died and he was only small, he was only eight. And um, where he was buried in one area near her, but they had this memorial bench, I think it was by the sea where they used to go. And um, because of lockdown, she couldn't, every year she would go and she would lay flowers on the bench and um, on the anniversary of his death and around that anniversary. And um, she couldn't go because of lockdown. We, everyone, you know, we weren't allowed to leave the houses, weren't allowed to travel out of the area. And she'd put something on Facebook and it'd been picked up by, I think like a 23 year old in the area who said, don't worry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna lay some flowers for you. But then loads of people found out about this and they all went and laid, so I'm actually welling up talking about it. And they all I, I went and laid flowers. I remember, I remember. This woman to help her yeah. remember her son. And, you know, this isn't a time when people were worried about, you know, themselves and their own health and everything. And it would just, it touched me so incredibly. And she felt, so much less alone and, and what a great tribute I think and they you know it didn't necessarily put those people out they didn't have to sacrifice much but their in, their intention was to help someone they had never met and I for me that's one of the most moving stories but there are you know there are loads I could turn to any page in the book and pull one out there's some you know really uplifting stories in there there are there are so many and I really I do really remember reading that one and just you just saying it now it it also gave me shivers again there's something just so incredible about like you said that these people heard about this and sort of sprung into action mm-hmm. um and I just think I don't know I've been thinking a lot about the book and empathy and how you know all these stories they seem to really be inspiring empathy in people all over the place during lockdown uh, and I'm just sort of really wondering about that and I mean, empathy is obviously what drives kindness. Um, I think empathy is described as the experience or it's a way of feeling, feeling one's way into the experience of another. And there's a quote in the book, um, there are people around you fighting battles that you know nothing about, which really kind of touched me. And obviously that's true. You know, that's always the case, but we, we often just forget that. And 
I just I wondered like if you had any sense or what what was your opinion on why there seemed to be so much more empathy during lockdown? I think I do, I don't I actually don't think there was. I think it just came to the fore actually. I think that it was just it was such an unprecedented time to use that word, but it was no one of our generation had experienced that. And we hadn't had to pull together before. We hadn't had to think of strangers. Like, of course we do kind things for our friends and families. You know, we're human beings. That's what we do, you know. And that's, I think, another thing I was going to say that really captivated me and motivated me when I was researching this was this desire to do kind things for people you don't know. It is easy to look after your loved ones and be thoughtful towards your loved ones. And I find it really interesting when people do that for people they've never met and there really is no gain obviously people get a good rush of endorphin and stuff when they help someone they don't know but you know fundamentally they're doing this because they're just intrinsically good people and I love really intrinsically good people I find them as most people do I just find them fascinating I wish I could be more like them I don't feel as though I'm quite there yet I try but I'm not and I, I think that you know this this sort of rising up, it was almost just sort of, it was always there and we just sort of shook a pot and it, it happened to rise up to the surface and people could see it more and people needed to see it more. People needed it. It was a really tough time. It was a really hard time. And, you know, it was hard. I mean, I don't want to be too negative about anything, but I know in my local area, there was a lot of angst about when people could leave the house and what space they were allowed to take up. So runners got really short shrift where I live and I, I run for my mental health. I'm not like a runner. I don't win any awards, but I needed it for my mental health. And there wasn't, I needed it so badly in lockdown. Yeah, I and I would, I was running down the river and there would, and, the, and eventually there began to be some sort of chalk signs saying like no runners and runners stay home. And gosh, it felt really awful. And so then we actually found a local cemetery. This sounds very strange. It's a beautiful cemetery and it's very small and very few people use it. And we would run around the cemetery. We would go early. There wouldn't be many people there. We might see some people walking their dogs and we would all say hello. And we started taking our kids running. Our kids run too. But I distinctly remember one woman shouting at me and my kids for <gasps> running there. And it really upset me. It really, it really stuck with me. And... And she shouted at my kids and she said, you know, this isn't a gym. And this is when the gyms were shut and the schools were shut and the playgrounds were shut mm. and everything was shut. And she couldn't share her space. And I had my daughter was six at the time and she was like, mommy, why? Why is that woman saying like mean things to us? And I, you know, I said, I said, she's really scared. She's really scared mm. right now. And she shouldn't have said that to you. And I just thought, wow, there is a time she also wrote about it on next door and uh, described me and my six-year-old daughter as sweaty joggers. <sighs> so that made me really cross to have to say. So this is the thing. So everyone's getting cross about very small things that would mm. people would not have mm. blinked at before mm. the pandemic. So I think that that was very present. There was an undercurrent of people stockpiling toilet roll and yeah. so other people get toilet roll or kind of, you know, getting the last... Um, pack of nappies or whatever it was or the last box of eggs for people the yeah. last bag of flour and it was just kind of like I couldn't let these negative stories be the ones that people heard and remembered because it it wasn't true it was you know there were all these stories of kindness too Definitely. and so that's something I wanted to really bring to the fore yeah and I love that I love that you kind of have this real sense of purpose and wanting to show 
you know, that, that these stories were also happening amongst all the kind of fear and the, the panic and the niggly, you know, niggly things that were going on too. I've also been wondering if it was because people just had more time. Um, I mean, I think there's something about the pace. I mean, I know there's definitely the anxiety about the fact that, you know, there's so much uncertainty and what are we going to do? But also a lot of people, maybe not you or others who had really small children, you know, our lives didn't necessarily slow down, but a lot of people, they just had more time and space to sort of be present and maybe just to reflect, you know, when you haven't got to do the commute every day or, you know, run with your kids to school and then rush to work. And I was just thinking maybe there's something about that, you know, not to sort of downplay the fact that obviously it was a, you know, it was a pandemic with devastating effects and consequences, but <clears throat> there was a bit of a pause button, um, which did seem to sort of have, have an impact on people in a positive way. Would you say that was true? I mean, I think so. Like when you strip away everything and you're literally left with what's in front of you, yeah. you're going to definitely have that time to pause and reflect. I mean, I think it's very specific. Like you said, you know, there were people working full time homeschooling their kids and just literally not getting where everyone was like, oh, I'm furloughed. I've got all yeah. this time. So it definitely was a very individual pandemic for mm. people. And it's been said like same storm, different boat. And, mm. you know, there were people who couldn't even think how they were going to afford to feed their kids or pay their rent or pay the electricity bill. And that I think was, you know, that really struck me as well, that there was people who had this extra time. It was a luxury. And I did notice that it wasn't the people that had all this spare time that were doing the most kind and putting that on me. It was the people. That's interesting. They just fitted it in. They just fitted it in. There was no like, you know, I didn't have a job. So I thought I'd just go and help and did it. There were, of course, people who had more time to volunteer, but there were people who were working just spending their evenings making masks for NHS workers when there was a PPE shortage, you know, mm. it didn't, I, for me personally, I don't think that extra time was what brought this out. I think it was this intrinsic goodness that is in some people that if I could bottle and sell it, mm. it would be amazing. And I'm constantly seeking it. Like, I think that mm. it's such, it is such a powerful thing. I know my book's called the power of kindness, but these people, they don't get stopped by lack of time. They don't get stopped by lack of money. They don't get stopped by a global pandemic. They will go out and they will work. They will do what they can to make a difference to as many people as they possibly can. And, and it is all very inspiring. So I think the time element may have helped some people. It may have been, you know, didn't exist for other people. Yeah. It was a very... Yeah, I mean, there's that saying, isn't there? If you want to get something done, you know, ask a busy person. So you know, there's, there's that, that element that you're talking about. But I was also thinking about one of the stories, um, the, the bus driver who was not able to carry on working because he was, he was so overweight and he was considered to be at risk, you know, his health. And then he decided that was like an impetus for him to really lose a lot of weight. And I was thinking partly about him, of this thing of, you know, if you have a bit of time, um, then, you know, this thing of choice, like choice is opened up and obviously the choice had always been there, but suddenly he, he was able to really see that. He was able to actually see that he, he'd always had a choice 
And then maybe he did have a bit more time to kind of devote to changing his diet and everything. But I found that really inspiring. And it was almost like a this thing of self-love as well, like that he had, you know, been kind towards himself and shown himself that kindness. And in doing that, then he was being kind essentially to his co-workers who he didn't want to let down by having to stay back from work. So yeah, that I love that. Absolutely. I, I think it's all about putting your oxygen mask on first, you know, how when you're on a plane, if anyone can remember air travel, they say, you know, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help other people. Yeah. And I think with that story, it was kind of a little bit poignant, isn't it? That maybe the opportunity to lose weight may have been there for him for his own health, but it wasn't until he could see it have an impact on other people that he got that he got that impetus to do it. And like you said, you know, the time if he was, you know, he was furloughed and they said, we just can't put you at risk. He was like, right, in that case, this is an opportunity. But he could have just said, oh, this isn't fair. He could have sat on the sofa. He could have watched Netflix and ordered pizza, you know, and he didn't. And it's an interesting story for that, that you, you know, is that when life gives you lemons type mentality, he, he could have chosen a different route, but he chose this one that, benefited himself which makes me really happy but like he did it for other people as well yeah no I love that and there's kind of an element of courage in it as well that I really love the quote I think it's Pablo Casals a quote in your book it takes courage for people to listen to their own goodness and act on it um and there's something about courage I mean there was your stories were full of courage you know there were people doing things like really pushing themselves out of their comfort zone and doing things that, you know, probably they wouldn't have done, um, taking sort of risks. And, and that it's interesting how that came out as well. Um, I mean, in many ways, it was a bit of a it was quite a scary situation um, and people were dealing with that fear. But then this courage did seem to come to the fore as well. Would you say that was fair? Absolutely. I mean, You'll find that kind people are courageous people. I um, have always thought this. I've always kind of, whenever I've been in a situation where I think I should just go and do this, I'm a bit nervous because um, maybe I'm worried how the words will come out or maybe they'll come up wrong or maybe the person I'm trying to help is going to be offended by it or reject it or this really sort of, it it sounds really pathetic, but I don't even mean it to be. And I've got a friend called um, Bernadette Russell who... um, she, you should actually have her on your podcast because she did something called the 365 Days of Kindness where she did a random act of kindness for a stranger every day. And we were working together when she started it. And it could be anything from paying someone's bus fare, leaving five pound note in a book, in a bookstore or library, um, paying someone's coffee. And she kind of quickly ran out of money. So she was like doing other things. And I remember thinking how brave she was because she had the courage to go and do this like kind thing and not worry about, the rejection and often when I'm in a situation when I want to do something kind but I'm a bit nervous about it I have to think to myself what would Bernadette do what would she do and she would just go and do this thing and Aww. you know she's walked people to the cash point and given them the last 10 pound in her bank account because that's the right thing for her to do whereas I'd be like oh I'm you know I can't take someone to a cash point with me you know she doesn't she's so brave Aww. she doesn't even realize it so I think these people who are kind they are really brave they just put themselves out there and they yeah in the pandemic some of them are risking their lives some of them are putting other people before themselves of course 
but there's there's different yeah there's a different braveness about that courage behind your kindness yeah there is I mean you were just talking then about did you mean someone who's homeless and on the streets and she would take them yeah yeah I mean I do I often think about that um and I think that's like an example isn't it of like of tenderness of it's like that thing of because actually in the concept of the tenderness revolution, um, courage is actually a big part. So there's three C's that kind of make up what the tenderness revolution's about. And it's courage, um, compassion, and curiosity. And I really do think that courage, you know, and that thing of seeing someone, you know, who's, who's in need and actually just not listening to the fear and just thinking, finding that sense of connectedness between you and thinking, you know, maybe I'll just chat to them and say, how are you doing today? And, you know, don't even have to necessarily give them anything, but even just seeing them, I think is really powerful. But I I think if you were to speak to most people about why they don't do that, I think it's just because they're afraid. So, yeah, I think courage is is a really powerful part of this, this kind of concept. Um, And another thing that I loved about the stories is, there was definitely a really a global um, element to them. You had mostly, you know, stories about the UK and also the US, but there were stories about things happening in Thailand during the pandemic, Japan, uh, even the Ukraine. And, um, you know, I just wondered if there was a sense of, of you looking at, all of these different countries and and sort of thinking almost becoming more connected to that shared sort of humanity because i i think it it can be quite difficult to do that and also there was another side during the pandemic that people became quite you know inward focused and and very much looking inwards and just thinking about their local community or their local family or themselves but you seem to be sort of trying to encourage a more expansive view almost as though you know this is actually happening all over the world and these human experiences are are what make us who we are you know we all have the same difficulties we all have the same joys you know was that a sort of very deliberate thing on your part yeah i mean i think it was it was important to tell the stories that were happening all over the world because, you know, as we've said, it's a global pandemic and we'd be naive to think it's affected everybody in the same way. You know, we can see right now the richer nations have a vaccination programme, poorer nations just just haven't had, got that opportunity and, and it's heartbreaking. So, but I think that in everyone's kind of unique and individual way and within certain cultures and other things that, the kindness was going on all around the world. It really was. Even, you know, I even, I see, you know, you hear stories all the time, even in India, when, you know, there's been this massive oxygen shortage, there have people been helping other people and trying to get them to source oxygen for their loved ones in hospitals and, you know, just really life-saving kindness. And, and it does happen everywhere. And it's not unique just to Western countries or wealthy countries or anything like that. Everyone has different needs and different, ways that they express their kindness yeah I know I mean I'm recording this in Botswana where we're currently based and you know it's it's difficult to accept that in terms of the vaccination programs 
I think about 3% of the adult population have been vaccinated and it's just a whole different thing altogether. So yeah, I, I fully agree. And I, I think it's really important to keep telling those stories like you, like you said. Uh, I just wondered if you, how did you feel about the, the idea that in every crisis there is an opportunity? I mean, again, not to play down what, a, you know, a, a tragedy this pandemic has been, but it would be wonderful to think that, you know, through different nations having to work together um, because of the pandemic, that, you know, global cooperation could, could come out of this in the future, you know, threats like climate change and nuclear war, perhaps nations could work better at solving these challenges because of what they've had to do during the pandemic. I'm going to be really negative. <laughs> I'm just not sure. You know, I want that to be true. I'd love for it to be true. Mm. But unfortunately, I think that people are so quick to forget. You know, there have been situations. This won't be our first or last global pandemic. It would be great. You know, there's a big debate in the UK at the moment. How much vaccine do we donate to other countries who don't yeah. have that access and it's you know it's really polarized people are saying no we have to get our own house in order first and then yeah. we can donate that leftover vaccine once we're okay other people are saying you know morally you need to donate that vaccine but also kind of logistically if you're you can't shut borders completely so it would help us anyway so i actually genuinely think that whilst it would be lovely to think that we were united on a global level you know the G7's just happened, the climate change conference is happening in November in Glasgow. It would be so great if they could, if, you know, these world leaders could come together and, and say, look, we can unite over this. Mm. But unfortunately, I don't think they've united over the pandemic. I don't think they'll unite again. I think it's too disparate. And that's why, but just to kind of turn that around, and like that's from the top down, but from the bottom up, from the grassroots, you know, kindness is still something that you can unify people across um, across cultures, across, you know, across class, across, you know, language, you know, the language of kindness. You don't, you don't need to even speak the same language to be kind to someone. Yeah. So whilst I actually think on a kind of maxi level, mm. I genuinely don't think that will happen because it's never happened before with all the world wars and everything else. And, you know, in the future, I would love for it to be true. But I think on a micro level, I think remembering what it's like to feel scared, to not be able to feed your kids. Like, you know, I'm, I don't worry about having enough money to buy food to feed my kids because I'm really, really lucky. But I went through a phase where I was like, I can't get like eggs. I can't get flour. I can't get yeah. pasta. This is how it feels. I remember saying to myself, this is how it feels yeah. to some people all the time. All the time. Yeah. And, and I know how fortunate I am. But, on a, but I got it on a really emotional level. I was scared. I was scared about being shut in my house and not being able to go out for exercise. But, you know, some people have a house and I have a garden. It's not very yeah. big, but it's there. Some people are living with a big family in two-bedroom flats, you know. Yeah. It made it gave me a greater empathy. empathy. And I hope it gave other people a greater empathy. So, But on that micro level, hopefully the pandemic will cross those divides of class and culture and say, actually... I get how it is to be you and let me try and help and let me try and even out this playing field. But unfortunately, when it comes to all the world leaders dining on their Scottish smoked salmon and 
grouse or whatever they're gonna eat I don't think I don't think it's gonna happen I'm afraid of on I hope I'm wrong <laughs> I I just I believe that it it's an it starts on the individual level and it's gonna you know it's gonna grow upwards you know it will it will happen eventually but I mean I it's very difficult to see you know on that big macro scale um, and I think that's just because those you know those kind of ways of being and seeing the world they're so entrenched it's, it's difficult to to change at that level but I think it, it will happen it will happen eventually I think you're right. at the end of the book you talk about um how fear often causes people to be unkind it kind of <clears throat> touched on that a bit but it was kindness in the end that won out I mean given what you've just said do you think that that writing the book it made you a more optimistic person um yeah I think so yes I'm gonna say yes because it stopped me it stopped me from having maybe negative thoughts about someone else. It made me stop in my tracks and say, hang on, what are they going through? Oh. What are their fears? What are they scared of? How can I help and lessen this? And there's this kind of, there's this phrase like, you know, kill them with kindness. And it's like, there's very few situations that can't be resolved by being kind to oh. the person. If you're in a fight, if you're falling out, if you're you know, in a car and someone's cut you up or whatever it is that makes you cross, you know. I think that if you can get yourself into a position of just putting kindness first rather than, you know, you're worrying, fear of being late or, you you know, worried about this or why have they been rude to you? Why have they said this way to you? Why have they cut in front of you in a queue in the supermarket? If you can just stop for a moment and just think, no, I'm going to be kind and just... Just and yeah. if, if you can practice, the so kindness is a muscle almost. Like the more you practice being kind, the more it grows. And yeah. you know this this thought of just trying to do like a few kind things every so yeah. often grows to like maybe a kind thing every week. And then you know if you can hit a kindness tick every day, God, you know your life would be so full. It would be so full, and you would be making such a difference because it really does have that pay it forward effect. That if you're mm-hmm. kind to someone you'd feel great but they actually feel pretty good too and if they're feeling good maybe they'll be a bit kinder to the next person that you know it's so true their part. it's so true I, I love that idea of just trying to even just trying to have, be mindful about doing one kind thing every day and it, it makes me think of actually just how powerful like literally how powerful kindness is I think um I read a, a quote a Marcus Aurelius quote about how um you know if you're in a situation and, and someone's trying to attack you, if you, if you refuse to engage in, you know, in a fight with that person and you, you just keep showing kindness and you keep saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this, but you know, let's, let's be friends. Let's just try and sort this out. If you keep coming back with that, if you consistently come back with that, then what's going to happen? There will be no fight. So, you know, literally, it's powerful. Kindness is powerful. <laughs> and I think it's brilliant that you, you really demonstrated that in your book. So I would love for the listener, if you could tell me about which of the three principles of the tenderness revolution really describes you. Um, so the tenderness revolution, again, is about curiosity, courage and compassion. 
Um, you know, which of those do you think sort of best describes you or which sort of do you feel plays out the most in your life? That's really hard. Um, I'm going to go. Oh, I don't know. That's really hard because obviously... <laughs> I'm going to do things. So obviously, like I'm going to have to weigh them up in my mind. So curiosity, obviously, I'm very curious. I'm a journalist. Yeah. I'm very nosy. Yeah. But I'm not going to choose that one. Um. And so that leaves what, compassion and courage. I do think I'm very compassionate. But do you know what? I am going to go for courage. I'm going to go for courage because of that of what I mentioned earlier in the podcast that you have to be courageous to be kind. You yeah. have to. Put yourself out there you by being kind you make yourself vulnerable yeah. and I think that's what I find as well really interesting not all times you know holding a door open whatever but just it does take courage to to do kind things and it I know that sounds really weird even as I say it, I think gosh you know that courageousness but and I strive for that and I don't think I'm there that's the I think that's why I'm choosing it. I strive to be more courageous I strive to go and talk to the homeless person instead of just being awkward and not knowing what to say. I strive to, you know, maybe buy the person behind me in the queue a coffee. I strive to do all those things. And I would love to be more courageous. And I try and teach my kids to be courageous through kindness. And so that I'm going to choose that one because for me, that's what's the most important thing. But it doesn't describe me yet, but hopefully... But we're all, we're all just works in progress, aren't we? And I think if you, you have an awareness of it and you know that you just, you're just always aware of being a little bit more like that, being a little bit more courageous and introducing it to your kids, then that's, that's everything, isn't it, really? I don't think we can do better than that. So thank you so much, Debbie. It's been brilliant speaking to you. I've really enjoyed it. And I just really appreciate you being really open and honest. It's just been such a great conversation. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Tenderness Revolution. I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us. For listening to this episode of the tenderness revolution i hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us